Welcome. The topic of this panel is step three. My name is Beth. I am a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this session. Our speakers today are Liana and Shannon. This session is being interpreted simultaneously. If you prefer to listen in French, please click on the interpretation symbol and choose French. Closed captioning is available. Click on live transcript. Let's open with the serenity prayer. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. The session will feature two speakers who have up to 20 minutes each. After that, the attendees will be able to ask questions of the speakers. The audio from this session is being recorded and will not be edited. By speaking at this workshop, you give permission to be recorded. Please note that this session will be available online or as a podcast feed. As you have noted, a webinar is view only. Only panelists are visible. Attendees are not visible to each other or to the people on the panel. Attendees are automatically muted. Please use the Q&A function to ask the panelists a question and use the chat for supportive comments. Please respect the anonymity of all who attend, including by refraining from screen capturing or audio recording. Two notes for our speakers. The timer, Lisa D, will signal when five minutes remain and when time has elapsed. Remember, you are being interpreted, so please speak slowly. So our first speaker is Liana. Thank you very much. I want to say good morning and welcome to everyone who's here and thank you for being here at our session on step three. My name is Liana and I'm a grateful recovering compulsive overeater and food addict from Bedford, Massachusetts. I'm abstinent today by God's loving grace, just one day at a time. And I just want to thank my fellow speaker, Shannon. I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. And I really want to thank everybody who's doing service here uh, to make this session as well as this convention a reality. So I am going to share uh, two images. Um, I'm going to start with the one while I while I start speaking. So I'm just going to do the screen share real quick. 
can get a nod if people can see that picture. Okay, thank you very much. So I'm gonna start by saying that I do qualify to be here. I've been 200 pounds and I've been 100 pounds. You know, at my heaviest, I suffered all of the indignities of chafing inner thighs, um, arms of chairs sticking to me when I would stand up to my wide hips. And I was called fat both to my face by strangers and by family. For myself, a failed dieter, I've been doing it since I was 11 years old. I've tried every way possible to control my weight as a binger. I joined every diet club, went to doctors, did fad diets, took diet pills. I've also swung the other way into anorexia and bulimia. I vomited to get rid of food, didn't take, wouldn't take in solid food, only fluids. I would abuse laxatives and I would restrict every morsel that went into my mouth to the point that I had no strength not to even get up a single flight of stairs. But my greatest enemy has been my ego. And you know what ego is and does. Um, it edges God out. Ego is what brought me into Overeaters Anonymous in 1993. Ego is what took me out in 2008, 15 years later. Ego is what kept me out there in a relapse, unable to string any days of abstinence together for 13 years until I crawled back through these doors in May of 2021. I was suicidal. I was full of rage. I was addicted to caffeine, sugar, flour, and I was slowly losing the love and respect of everyone around me. So right before I came back into OA, I had double fisted and teeth clenched my way down to 10 pounds more than I am right now. But today I've maintained my weight loss for the 17 months for just one day at a time by following a food plan, abstaining from certain foods and working all of my tools every day because I really do consider them the handrails to the steps. 54 years old, I'm gonna try to change photos here if I can. And can I get a nod that people can see that change of photo? Thank you very much. Um, at 54 years old, I'm healthier and I'm fitter than I have ever been. I'm an endurance hiker, I'm a strength athlete, and I'm a distance runner. And I do it all abstinently. And I do it with the support of my sponsor and others. Stop sharing right now. I can be, stop sharing, okay. When I came back, I knew that I wanted recovery. I didn't wanna just be abstinent. I didn't wanna just be a dry drunk. I didn't wanna just stop eating compulsively. I really wanted some peace and serenity. I really wanted some wisdom. I really wanted to stop controlling everything. And I just wanted freedom from the grips of my disease that was killing me. And that's part of the reason why I volunteered to do step three today which has made the decision to turn our will in our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. When I returned to OA, I immediately found a sponsor and I started working the steps. I wasn't a stranger to working the steps. When I had been in program before, I completed a number of closed 12-step study groups, um, but I never really fully understood step three. As I was willful 
and the most self-reliant person I know, I really was only willing to give certain things to God, but I still wanted to keep other things. I would turn over a problem and I'd take it back. I would turn over a problem and I would take it back. If God wasn't responding fast enough, when I was anxious or I needed to be in control, I would take matters back into my own hands. Can you just see it? It's something like, here, God, please help me with this. Hey, God, I really need to resolve this. You know, why don't I just take that back and I'll just take care of it myself? Oh, God, that didn't really work out the way I wanted it to. On and on it went. Ad infinitum. I was a steamroller. I would flatten everything in my path and leave destruction behind me. So when I came back to OA in May of 21 and I started studying step three, I I got scared. I thought, well, wait, wait a minute. You mean I have to turn it all over? Like as in all of it? Like I don't get to keep some of it, like some of the things that I like or the defects that work for me? Like my need to control or hiding my compulsive behaviors or, you know, those behaviors that I did with food or other things like spending money or my lack of time management. Then I got honest. I I thought, you know, I don't, I wondered if I could do it. And I, I thought I was one of those unfortunates that we read about in the literature. I mean, my track record up to this point wasn't very good. And what if I failed at this too? I mean, I'd failed at turning things over before. I failed at every diet I had ever done. I had so many failed relationships, um, the lost jobs. Um, But it was driven home to me by a sponsor that I needed something bigger than me to do this thing called life. So I thought it was about the food. I thought if I could just lose weight and be thin, that life would be good. When I was active in my disease, the scale was my master. If the numbers on the scale were low, I was smart, I was beautiful, I was strong. But if the numbers on the scale were high, I was fat, I was lazy, and I was stupid. I found out it wasn't about the food, it was about so much more. So now I'm studying the 12 steps. I'm in a, in a step study process and it's being confirmed for me what I, what I know. I have an allergy of the body that when I eat certain foods, it sets off the phenomenon of craving. I have a twist of the mind, a mental obsession. I have a disease that tells me I don't have a disease. Pick up, I can't stop or even stay stopped on my own. I have learned that I have to fully concede because it is the delusion of every compulsive overeater and food addict that they'll someday be a normal eater again. And that delusion has to be smashed. So what does turning my will and my life over look like? Well, it means that I give God all of my thoughts, which is my will. God, help me with these resentful thoughts. Help me with my impure thoughts. Help me with my angry thoughts. Help me with my selfish thoughts. Instead, 
help me to expect the best of other people, to see them with eyes of love instead of eyes of hate. It means that I also give over my actions, which is my life, not reacting when I really want to, turning over food uh, thoughts and not acting on them, doing service even if it feels inconvenient, loving and forgiving even when I don't think the other person deserves it, and living and let other people live and not having to control everything. The literature has told me that most of us want to live by self-propulsion, but that the first requirement to take step three is that we be convinced that a life run on self-will can hardly be a success. I've proven this to myself and others again and again and again. <laughs> uh, I was the queen of running amok, but then I would get surprised and hurt when people would react to my behavior. Instead of leaning into God's help, I would lean out into my own self-reliance because I was restless and irritable and discontented. And as we read the, in the literature, the result was no until I let go absolutely. So what about making a decision? What does that mean? I've learned that for me, it has to be done daily. It's a daily choice um, because as a food addict, I, I have this built-in forgetter. Uh, if I'm not taking the actions that help me remember my decision and my commitment to my recovery, I will go back to my old way of thinking and my old way of acting. I also needed to learn that making a decision was actually taking an action. As a human doing, I always treated steps two, three, six, and seven as lesser steps. If I wasn't writing a fourth step, giving away a fifth step, writing a 10th step, sitting in my quiet time, step 11, or doing service with another food addict in step 12, I didn't think I was doing something. But the truth is, is that steps two, three, six, and seven require so much more of me. They require a commitment and a daily decision. And that's where my behavior is going to change. And that's the surrender. So I'll be clear, I'm, I'm not perfect. Um, nobody expects me to be, we're all human, right? Uh, when I feel resentful or I lose my temper or I make an impulsive choice, I can simply resume. And I can go back to my higher power. I can ask God for help. I can ask God for direction. I can ask God for guidance. I can ask God for forgiveness. And then I can turn it all over again. So instead of my willfulness today, I kind of see it more as having these blank spots that I can ask God for help with. Um, I can immediately start praying because a praying brain is not a resenting brain or an obsessing brain or a fearful brain. Fear and faith can't occupy the same space. I also want to say a few words about God as I understand him. I came into program with a religious conception of God, but my relationship with God was not as strong as I wanted other people to think it was. 
Um, I, I know some folks in program who are agnostic or atheist, and they, um, they choose to rely on the universe as their power that helps them. Um, and I've just heard it said, somebody's like, well, hey, if the lamp or the tree is what you want to pray to, then spend your time there. If I want to get well, I have to believe that there's a power greater than me, that there's something bigger than me out there, and that there's a God and that I'm not it. And nor is anybody else it. Um, because see, that was part of my problem early in program. Um, and definitely during those 13 years that I was in relapse, I made everything else my God. You know, sponsors were my God. People in program were my God. My men were my gods. My job and my boss were my gods. Money and my finances were my gods. Um, food and booze were, were my gods. When I took step three with my sponsor, um, which I did, um, gosh, over a year ago, uh, we were in her home and we were on her deck and we lit a candle. And she explained to me that someday I would be walking other women through the steps as well. And I would be taking step three with them. So we got on our knees to pray the third step prayer out of the AA big book. And I'll be honest, I hadn't memorized it. And so I kind of stumbled along and she, you know, she let me stumble along. And, um, but we said the prayer. And in that moment, I just made the decision to do the rest of the work and start step four. Um, I'm still writing. I'm writing turnarounds right now. Uh, and I know that to keep my higher power close means that the promises of the program will keep coming true. So what's happened? Where am I at today? Well, because I'm abstinent, because I'm in recovery, I have relationships today. Five minutes, Liana. Thank you. I have relationships today with my three young adult children, all of whom I had abstinently um, in the late 90s and the early 2000s. Those relationships were not even existent two years ago. I was in the throes of my disease. I'm rebuilding a marriage that was on its way out. I have forgiven my husband. And a day at a time, I'm learning how to forgive myself by working the steps. I'm able to show coworkers that might be struggling or an angry, some grace and some empathy. And I don't have to make everything that everybody else is going through about me. I stop screaming at everybody. And I'm committed to my self-care every single day. You know, I show up for my quiet time. I work my program and I do things like I make my bed. Um, you know, I struggled with depression, like I wasn't showering. So I shower every day. I work out every day. I put the time into maintaining friendships instead of isolating. So I'll wrap with, I work the pants off this program because my life depends on it. And I ask God each day to help me just to become the person I was meant to be because it's never too late to evolve. And I just wanted to read um, March 7th out of the, the Voices of Recovery. Um, and it says, instead of acting on impulse, we pause long enough to learn God's will. Then instead of resorting to willpower, we relax and reach out to receive help from our higher power. 
All we need to say is, God, please help me do your will. In my recovery, I'm learning to slow down and listen to the voice inside me that is my higher power. This presence is always with me, but in the chatter of everyday life and wanting to do things my way, this voice is often drowned out. When I slow down and I tune it, and I tune in, I hear it loud and clear. In revisiting the third step through these words whenever I need to, I live my recovery. This, that is the true miracle, to know that through these few words of supplication, let me do your will, I move beyond myself to something greater. It always guides me, and it's always a gift, because when I ask for willingness to do God's will, I give up control of what I think should happen, and I'm always surprised. So this is what I strive for every day, and it wouldn't be possible without being willing, without a foundation of abstinence, and without a close contact with God. Thank you, Liana. That was wonderful. Um, our next speaker is Shannon. Beth, uh, Beth I'm sorry yes. to interrupt you, but we've had a lovely little thing happen, which is that two people have stepped up to interpret. Shannon, you ready? Can we do it? All right, we're gonna bring them up. I think we have one more than we need, but I'm gonna take everybody who wants to come. Uh, so just bear with here one second. I hope I get the right. Anne. All right, just give me a second. Okay. Hello, Anne. Hello, Lynn Renee. Thank you for joining us. Did I, Anne, unmute? Did I get the right Anne? Is it Anne or Anne? Okay. Anne, it's me. Hi, Anne. Good to Hi. see you. So now we have two interpreters and one speaker. So which okay. one? Anne, you can take it. Did you do any service and in interpretation or? This time around? Did you do some? Like, do you want to oh, take this is it? my first? Okay. So okay, so I'll let it to Anne. It's fine. Okay. Well, you hang out, Lynn Renee, in case we get jammed up. And it's I'm a little trouble hearing you. Is your mic where it needs to be? Try now. Uh, yes, should be. Okay. How's that? I think it's a little better. So Beth and Shannon, just give me one second. We're gonna put Anne into the interpretation channel. But if my sound's not good, that's a problem. Well, let's hear from um, our friends, our French friends. And say in French, please tell tell me if you can hear me. Donc, il faut nous dire si vous m'entendez. Est-ce que vous m'entendez? Est-ce que vous m'entendez bien? C'est ça la question. They should tell us in the chat. Uh, et dans le, le, le chat. Yeah, Kimberly, we know. We're just testing. You hear her. Okay, good. All right, okay. I'm going to put you both in chat, uh, in interpretation, just in case we have a problem. Okay. okay, which means Lynn Renee, you won't really be able to hear Anne, but you can come back to English. Okay, here we go. Just a moment. All right, so we're going to put Anne, and we're going to put go to French, and we're going to put Lynn. And Shannon, I'm just going to remind you that we speak slower. Take it as squeezy. Oh, you speak French too, so you know the you know the drama. Okay, here we go. We're going to start interpretation. And our chat friends are going to put the interpretation instructions in the chat. Then we're going to spotlight Shannon. Beth, did you want to, I interrupted you. Did you have anything else you wanted to add before Shannon goes? Well, I was going to add that we have an interpreter. <laughs> but actually, there is something else about, um, let's see, the uh, closed captioning, click on live transcript, 
choose subtitle. Yeah. I didn't say that before. Okay. And that's, that's uh, good for English. That doesn't work in French yet, but soon. Okay. Okay. And was there something else? Um, okay. So speaker view to just see the speaker. Okay. And you find that in the upper right hand corner of okay. your screen. And Anne, if you can interpret all this stuff. Yeah. Everything that Beth is saying too. Okay, great. And and you'll remind remind you you're gonna put your hand right in front of your face if you need a Shannon to slow down. Yeah. Okay. Good. All right, my dear. Go ahead, Shannon. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much for everybody's support here. And yes, I may speak French, but I also am Canadian. We tend, we tend to speak fast, but I will do my best to take it slow and easy. So thank you for showing up everybody to this step three session. Um, I am a compulsive overeater. My name is Shannon. I'm zooming in from Port Hope, Ontario, Canada on a beautiful sunny fall day. Always grateful for that sunshine. So I'll qualify first. Um, I always had a strange relationship with food. Only food addicts know uh, the idea that the food called to me, that the food made noise, that the food could be in another room. And that's all I could think about. Sounds and smells would trigger the obsessive thinking that just wouldn't go away. I would start this negotiation with the food because I, I really, especially near the end, I was really done. I didn't want to do this anymore, um, but I would negotiate. You know, if I can have this, then I promise I won't have that. And that would be sometimes missing an entire meal in order to have some kind of, you know, treat. I would resist often. I would often make it through a good part of the day without eating compulsively. But as soon as I put that first morsel of food into my mouth, game is over, game is over. So Sandy, could you share my picture? This would be a good time. Yep, I'm on it. Hang on one second. So I came into, I'll just keep talking. I, I came into, Overeaters Anonymous in 1995. I probably I probably looked pretty much like that. Um, our scale at home stopped at 280, and I I maxed it out. Um, I was staring at a closet full of size 24 clothes that I was busting out of, and I didn't know what to say to my husband because I needed to go buy more clothes. You, you see me smiling in that picture? That's another friend getting married. That's other experiences I didn't have because of my compulsive and obsessive food addiction. I smiled on the outside. I was dying on the inside. And I never got to have those experiences that my girlfriend got to have as a re result of my compulsive overeating. Thank you, Sandy. We can stop sharing now. Um, so my abstinence date is, uh, March of 2017. So if you do the math, you can understand that I have relapsed as part of my history. Um, I did this dance, you know, 
with abstinence and relapse and abstinence and relapse for the last few decades. I left when we had the SARS outbreak in Ontario. I took my books, I went home, I had the knowledge and it didn't take long that I started finding the solution in the food again. And I came back in uh, 2009 and I recommitted. I'm currently um, sitting at a 70 pound weight loss and I continue to work towards a healthy body weight. I work closely with a higher power that continues to refine my food plan. But what happened was in spring of 2017, I went to a retreat. Um, our intergroup has a yearly retreat. And at that retreat is where I decided to start cooperating. The retreat leader, leader walked in on the Friday night and I was like disconnected. It was like, he didn't look like me. He didn't sound like me. How could he be like me? He was totally like me. That's the beauty of this fellowship is that we don't have to look alike to understand each other. We come in all shapes and sizes, all genders, different cultural backgrounds, but we all get each other when it comes to food. So this retreat leader introduced me to the idea that surrendering isn't giving up, it's deciding to cooperate. I had heard surrender my entire career in OA and I had a block. You know, as the previous speaker shared, I was, I was prepared to let go of a certain part of my life, but not all of it. I, I felt safer if I could keep control of certain things. But cooperating, yeah, I, I could get behind that idea. So I decided I would try it your way one more time. So I also heard the way to do that was to do the steps. And not just to do them at a retreat or, you know, at a workshop, but to do them every day, to work them into my daily life. And then I would soon discover that the steps were my transition to freedom from the food obsession. Which is also a quote somewhere in our literature. You know, what you're going to hear from me today is not, is not unique to me. I, I, you know, I hear it from others and I keep sharing it. So step three in my life today, that's what we're here to talk about. So what is step three? Step three is made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And in my book, I've got notes, made a decision to turn our thinking and our actions over to the care of God as we understood him. I have to understand the vocabulary in order to absorb it. And I'm grateful to others that share the words that they use. And then it reminds us that the spiritual principle is faith. faith. Ooh, how was I to get faith? There's lots to share on this chapter. I could talk forever, but I'm gonna zero in on one sentence. So it's in the uh, OA 12 and 12, the second edition on page 17. The sentence starts at the bottom of the page and goes up to 18. It says, if we want to live free of the killing disease of compulsive eating, we accept help without reservation 
from a power greater than ourselves and begin taking the action that will allow us to receive that help. With a lot in that sentence for me. So what I've got, what I've got circled heavily is we accept help without reservation. Without reservation. So what is that? So I can remember vividly after a meeting one night sitting in the car with an OA fellow, and I was telling my story of relapse. I had taken another welcome token. And she looked at me and she said, Do you think you have reservations? I didn't have a clue what she was talking about. I didn't know that she was pulling it out of the 12 and 12. Remember, I, I'm a person where maybe you don't know, I, I didn't do the steps on a regular basis. So I read this book at meetings, but I didn't really absorb it. So I had to look at another way of thinking of reservations. It says in here is I had to look at my preconceived notions. I have a lot of them. I'll only share a few of them. So. One of my preconceived notions is I don't need to change any further for this to work. So at this point, I've been in OA a little over 20 years. I've been to retreats and conventions. I sponsor, I've been sponsored. I attend meetings. As a matter of fact, at this point, I'm like three meetings a week. I'm doing service all over the place. I'm changing, man, I'm changing. The other pre preconceived notion that kept coming up was I'm learned. My books are tattered, they're highlighted, they're underlined, corners are folded. My first edition, the binding was falling apart. That's gotta be evidence, right? That I should be abstinent. One of the other ones that was persistent was I got this. So the danger for people that have been in a way for a long time is that sometimes we let people think that we're okay, right? The previous speaker talked about ego. So my ego gets in the way. I think I should be a certain somebody in a way because I've been here for a couple of decades. Keep an eye on the people around you. Sometimes they're hurting and they're not. They're not talking about it. So my strong ego prevented me from saying, I don't got this. I don't get, I, I don't know what to do. So to release some of those reservations, those preconceived notions, I had to start changing those stories. So today, you know, I'm getting better at trusting that doing something different gets me a different result. I'm getting better at remembering that my way gets me into trouble. I, get, I, I can remember stories of when I try to do it my way. And I'm getting better at asking for help. It's hard, it's so hard, but I keep practicing it. The other, the other part that I have circled in that sentence, and it's at the top, it's uh, we're at the top of page 18 now is that we begin taking actions. I thought this was like a thinking step, right? Like there's some steps I thought, well, if I just think about it, then okay, I've got this step done, right? So making a decision, yeah, I decide. 
but I was stuck, right? I, I, I wasn't convinced that doing the rest of the steps were where I was going to get my freedom. So it says it all over our literature. These are all action steps. So I'm going to share with you some of the action steps that I take that support that idea that I'm turning over my will in my life. I'm turning over my thinking and my actions. I'm considering being different. So number one, I had to start with my food plan. I'm a relapser. I needed to identify my danger foods. I needed to stop trying to be this all powerful superhero with food. I have no defense against the food. So I need some structure around my food. I'm a chronic dieter in my past. So food plan felt like a diet. At some point, something shifted in my brain and I understand that this is merely the guidelines that keep me safe. Much like there are guidelines when we're out there driving, these are just guidelines that keep me safe with the food. So I developed that food plan and it keeps me safe. I have to, I have to ask for help to follow that food plan because just creating it didn't mean I was going to follow it. You remember, we can have knowledge without having the ability to follow through on things. So every day I have to ask for help. I have to ask HP to help me with choices and decisions. I have to ask HP for help in making sure I have the right foods so that I can follow my food plan. I can't just wing it anymore. I love winging it. I love being spontaneous. I just lost the ability to do that when it comes to food. Another way that I turn my will in my life over today is that I accept that I do better when I weigh and measure my food. I did not want to do that. That was diet. That was diet mode. I swore I was never going to use a scale ever, ever again in my life. It felt restricting. It's just another one of those things. I can't explain how the feeling changed. But today, when I put my plate on the scale and I put the food on there and I look at the number, it's just that. It's my number. It's my safe number. And it just takes all that guessing out of the way. I, you know, I lost perspective along the way. I, sizes and amounts. Sometimes I'm okay, but, you know, I don't want to chance it. So it's just a lot easier if I weigh and measure. There's also this weird phenomena that when I overeat, when I eat those extra bites, they make me want to eat more extra bites. So I, I try to keep it within my guidelines. Um, how else do I support turning my will in my life over? I read literature on a daily basis. I do a daily reading and I respond to the daily question. And my sponsor, my sponsor never really asked me to do anything, but she tells me what she does. And so I want what she has. So I've been trying to model what she does. So not only do I do my reading and writing, but I share it with others, my sponsor and, and some sponsees. I make myself vulnerable, right? I see myself sometimes doing my writing and thinking like I need to write a masterpiece. So part of the process is also, you know, relaxing that ego, remembering I'm one amongst many. 
I'm not doing this writing to impress you. I'm doing this writing to get to know myself better. The sharing of these writings, I receive as well. Thank you. I receive as well. So I get to hear new ideas. I get to change my thinking. I get to find solutions to problems I think I, I can't figure out. I remind myself on a daily basis that I'm not running the show. In the beginning, I had to set up a timer. I had to have my phone remind me to have a conscious contact with the God of my understanding. And I love this prayer. I stole it from an OA fellow. It was actually the, the gentleman that had that retreat that I say changed my life. The sentence is, keep me coming back to your well during the day, God, for a drink of your love, your strength, your guidance, and your peace. And I said that repeatedly, 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 because I need to be reminded, right? We, you heard we're, we have a forgetful disease. I forget all the time. I want to run the show. So that timer helped me to develop that conscious contact. And I keep returning to it um, a lot better on my own today. So what has step three done for me? It has allowed me to take the other steps that lead to the freedom. Every day I make that decision that I'm gonna hand over my life, my decision-making and the way that I am with people. I'm gonna listen for messages from God on how I should be. I heard and it's written in our literature that freedom isn't free. So I commit to taking this step three every day because I really want that freedom, right? Nothing tastes as good as abstinence feels. I used to hate the slogans when I first came in, but it's true when I live them, I understand their truths. Each time, each time that I trust HP, I get to have experiences I could not have imagined. I could not have imagined sitting here speaking to you. It terrifies me. <laughs> but this is step three in action, right? This is, this is me doing my best to share my experience, strength and hope because others do it for me too. And that fills me up. I get to have an abstinent day, whether I think I'm able to have one or not. I had a close call the other day. I was sitting at a Starbucks and all of a sudden I had this idea to get off my chair and go get something. And it shocked me. Right away, I went into prayer. I was like, no, I know that is not your will for me to go get that treat. I got back on my chair and I was like, oh my God, it works. It really works. And finally, you know, I get to live a life that is beyond my wildest dreams. I heard the previous speaker talk about having relationships with young adult children. I lost mine for a few years as well, as I was out there doing my shenanigans. I'm grateful to have my youngest live with me. I'm grateful that she sits there and makes a mess and chews her food very loudly and forgets to take out the garbage. I'm grateful for all of that because she's in my life. Right. There's nothing better than having people in your life. Thank you very much for letting me share on step three. I, I thought I was going to die before this session. And what I got the opportunity to do was to remember that I am one amongst many. We share this condition, this disease, and we also share the solutions. And thank you for continuing to show up for me. Thank you very much. That was wonderful.
Um, well, the first question um, has to do with contact information. If uh, Shannon and Liana, if you would like to put your contact information in the chat that was requested. And um, reminder for questions, um, actually waiting for some questions to come up in the Q&A. Um, type your question in the Q&A and I will read the questions to the speakers who will have up to two minutes each to answer. Uh, in some cases, the questions will be consolidated. So let's see. Okay, so um, for both speakers, how do you work step three in really difficult situations? Which one of you, Shannon? I can go. I can go. So uh, I had to initially. I had to do that um, that timer thing to remind me because I I didn't have that conscious contact for many 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 years. It wasn't intuitive to me to reach out beyond myself. Um, so that daily practice of reminding me. All of a sudden, when I got into difficult situations, I remembered that I could stop. And I guess the pause, the pause is the magic in this program, right? In my step 11, I learned to breathe and, and be still. And so that's what comes to my mind now when I can, I feel it in my body, right? My thinking goes crazy, but I feel it in my body. And when I start feeling that tenseness, Sometimes I miss it, but most of the time I see it and I'm like, okay, time to breathe, take a breath. And then I, I automatically reach out to HP and sometimes all I can say is help. That's it. Um, Liana? Sure. Um, so like I had said in my qualification today that, um, you know, I wanted everybody to think that I had this great relationship with God. And, you know, there's a difference between believing and having faith and, um, and actually putting it into action. And so I paid a lot of lip service to that relationship for a long time. And when I came back and got abstinent, I, my eyes pop open in the morning and I go right to my quiet time chair. And so I have to put in the time every day in the morning and start my day with my higher power, which is step 11, um, so that I will remember in the moments when I want to be a screaming Mimi that I'm not alone. Um, I'll give you an example. I'm rebuilding a marriage. Um, you know, I had discovered my husband's infidelities and um, he got into program. And so he works two 12-step programs. I work two 12-step programs. We're, it, we're sort of in this race doing a four-step together. And, um, you know, I have triggers, you know, uh, that happen. And so I've developed through quiet time, this image of, 
those those intruding thoughts coming in a doorway and God and I are on the other side of the doorway and together we put our hands on that door and we slam that door shut and it's not today God not today not going to give in to those those thoughts because those thoughts end up turning into you know lack of trust and you know getting upset and being suspicious and acting out so I push that door shut and what happens is I can remember I'm not alone. God's with me. No matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. God's going to take care of it. And I have that, you know, but it's practice um, of turning that over, turning those thoughts over and turning those actions over because it's kind of like I learned a long time ago, like walk through the bite. Like if something looks good and I want to put it in my mouth, I have to take the step and say, okay, when I put it in my mouth and it goes down, like okay, how am I going to feel after? And I don't want those feelings after. Okay. All right. We have a question. Uh, what do you do when you are physically hungry and have no resources for food? Too tricky. The food stuff, eh? So I, I had a, I've had many sponsors over the couple decades that I've been here. And, and uh, I used to, I had a sponsor. She said, I promise you're going to wake up in the morning. So, you know, hunger is a funny thing, right? It, I can't always tell if I'm physically hungry. Am I emotionally hungry? I'll tell you, I'm physically hungry now. And I'm supported by all of you. So I have no desire to go eat, but there are, times where I work from home right now the kitchen is just a few feet away and there are times that 11 30 a.m strike and my mind and body are thinking it's lunchtime and I practice waiting right I, everything I'm surprised to say it myself everything comes down to prayer for me I I've realized I can't do this deal alone um, and, and I was asked when I was uh, relapsing whether I reached out to my higher power. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I was saying yes, but what I was doing was just in the morning, right? I was doing my prayer and meditation in the morning. And then the rest of the day, I would just fly off on my own. So if I'm physically hungry today and it's, it's not a mealtime or if I haven't prepared well, um, Sometimes I need to make a call to another OA fellow, my sponsor as much as possible, but you know, maybe another OA fellow. Uh, I've learned to not make those decisions all by myself. I, I, I can't trust uh, this addict, that the addict brain might come out and display itself and tell me it's a good idea to eat that. So I, um, I ask for help from my higher power or others. The battle pass next. I was taught early on um, when I came in and I uh, put the food down because I was binging my brains out when I came in the first time around um, that when I followed a, my structured food plan that I was going to have hunger in between meals because I grazed all day long and sometimes it felt really like hard and I had a sponsor say to me you know what the hunger peaks and it passes it peaks and it passes. And I learned how to breathe through it and know that, like the previous figure said, I wasn't going to die. Um, but 
just like what the previous speaker said, same thing. Um, I prep, I make sure I always have what I need. Um, I write my food down the night before or the morning of. I do commit it to a sponsor and I don't commit anything I don't have. Um, I don't leave it to chance. And if I have to make a food change or I don't have something, I call my sponsor, I text my sponsor, um, and we decide what I'm going to do and how I'm going to handle it. Um, you know, sometimes you travel and sometimes you're, you know, if you don't bring your food with you, um, you know, you, it is left to chance and there's way too many choices for this food addict out there. So, um, you know, walking through with someone else helps guide me so that I don't um, invariably make a decision about my food and break my abstinence and start down that path because I've been in relapse for 13 years and I wanted to get back and I couldn't get back. So I don't want to eat again. I'll pass. Thank you both. Um, all right, the next question, I'm going to read it. I still misunderstand the step. You said something about our actions, turning it over, and how it applies to our overeating and program. I don't know what the question is, maybe, more about how it affects our overeating. You go first, that one, Yana. Sure. So step three is very little about the food. We take care of that in step one. In step one, we admit our powerlessness over the food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Um, in step two, we come to believe that there's something greater than us that can help us with that struggle. And then in step three, we take the action to turn it over. And, you know, I, I think as we talk about it today, when we're talking about the food and we're talking about our, our recoveries and our abstinence relates to making a decision, how it ties to the food is every day I make a decision about my food. Every day I make a decision that I'm not going to hurt myself compulsively with the food. Every day I need something bigger than me to help me with that. Because let's be honest, if I could do this on my own, I wouldn't be here. Like if I could have figured this out on my own, I wouldn't be here. I was the most self-reliant person I knew. So what I get is the gifts of all of this sobriety and, and serenity that I see in all of you and that I've been shown like I couldn't do it on my own. So, um, so that's what I'll say to the answer to that question. Yeah, it was beautifully said. I don't have much to add except for I have an understanding today that I can't make my own food decision. I have lost the ability to make sane decisions with food because I figured that out in one and two. And every day, as was said, it's an every day and sometimes every meal where I ask for help to eat this beautiful abstinent meal. I'll tell you when I, there are days when I start that meal, I'm excited. And when I get to the very, you know, last bite, I start getting sad. So I have to ask for help again, sometimes throughout the meal to say, I heard another speaker say at the end of each meal, she would say, thank you, God, I'm done. Because the transition can be hard, right? From eating to not eating. Ooh. So that's it. Thanks. 
um, this question was posted in the chat. Difficult situations aside, how do you remember to ask HP for help for small problems? A timer can be really distracting. I have tried it at work. Do you have any other suggestions? So the question is for smaller issues, not big life things, but for like the day-to-day -day stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I liken my abstinence to kind of being on the airplane when they tell you, you put the mask on you first, and then you put it on your child. Like you don't try to help other people and do everything else for everyone else. And then try to be self-caring by doing my program first. I am then able to show up for everything else. And I have a very, not like, not like I'm different than anybody else. I have a very chaotic life, you know, two dogs, four guinea pigs, three young adults, like a job that's very demanding, four meetings plus a week. I work out every day, you know what I mean? Like, and I battle depression and I have a, you know, a boss that's difficult. And so these things like, you know, sitting down and trying to work with the dog barking next to you. It's like the food isn't going to fix it. But when I show up in the morning, like I choose to start my program first thing in the morning because I'll forget. Life will grab a hold of me and I will forget. So it's, it's having, you know, I write in a journal. I take the journal back out. I reread what I wrote. I don't just write it and put it down. I keep my readers on my work desk with me so I can just reopen what I read that day. You know, um, so these are just different things that I can do um, because I write my food down. I have it magnetically attached to my refrigerator because that's where I have to go to get it. You know, we take the tiger out of the cage three times a day, pet it, put it back. So I need to be able to double check. What did I write? Because life is going to help. I'm going to forget. Um, you know, I do things like I don't I ask everybody every stop. I'm weighing my food. I don't want to make a mistake because people are talking at me and the dog is jumping on me. These are all blessings, but I, I can't be there for everybody else if I'm not there for myself first. So I put my program first. Yeah, I'll add a little bit to that. So the little things, huh, the little things accumulate, the little things sneak up on me and they're the ones that make me wanna like either act out with behavior or with food. So my nightly review, I've started trusting that it's okay to write about the little things. I talked to you about my daughter that makes noise eating food, it drives me nuts, right? She doesn't put her dishes away. She doesn't do dishes. She forgets to take the garbage out. Those are little things, but they could drive me to bad behavior, which ultimately will drive me to eat. I have to, so I have to acknowledge the little things. I have to notice what my body is doing when I hear her chewing or when she's gaming with her friends and she's talking like really loud. I get to notice what my body is doing and how I'm getting hooked into wanting life to be different. Um, so I guess um, I, don't, I, I don't know how to help somebody be consciously connected except to maybe repeatedly do the things that make me aware of my thoughts and actions. So hopefully that helps. Thank you. 
I see the time is uh, 12 o'clock. Do we need to close? Yes, indeed, we should close. I was listening and I got all involved. Okay. Um, Beth, before you close, we just added, it's in the chat. We're going to do some fellowship at lunchtime. We're going to offer breakout rooms in um, English and French and one with food and one with no food. And please, come, everybody, please join us. It's a lot of fun. So that's at uh, track B starting now. All right, Miss Beth, you can <clears throat> up. Just a quick note that the French one. Uh, yes. Pour les membres français, nous, on va se débrouiller uh, caméra ouverte, caméra fermée pour la nourriture. Donc, there, there will be just one French room for lunch, but we'll, we'll figure it out how to, to deal with that. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Um, thank you all for attending. Thank our speakers, our wonderful speakers. And we'll close with the serenity prayer. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you all for your service. Everybody, thanks. Great job, great job. Thank you, Anne. Beautiful, beautiful. I'm going to end interpretation. Oh, on va and terminer l'interprétation. Terminé. <laughs> Thank you, Anne. I am amazed. I, I am like in awe of interpreters. I oh, know. Aren't they so the coolest? Well she was getting into it. I was watching her. She's like, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. <laughs> and it and it takes extra words in French to express what you're saying in English. That's right. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. All right, why can't I stop? Thank this? you so much. Yeah, it was really great. Good sharing. Great job. great job, everybody. All right, go have a lunch break. Beth, I think you're coming. Yay, we're done. Me. Yeah, thank you're you, done. Shannon. Thank you, Anna. It's nice seeing you. Bye. You too. Bye. Bye bye. Beth, are you coming back after lunch for the next one? Are you the moderator? I'm not the moderator. Oh, okay. I made that up. <laughs> That happens to me a lot. I have a question about the um, sure. the camera. Oh, I, I see it. that the way my camera is, it looks like I'm looking to the side. You got to, um, you have to find, it's weird. You're actually making an excellent point. So right now I'm looking right at my camera, which means that I can't see my screen because my camera's above my screen. Now I'm looking at you. So my head is turned to the side. Oh, does that make sense? It takes a little bit of work to look at the camera instead of at the screen. Is that better now for look at the camera? It's ideal, but then you don't see what's happening on screen. No. So you got to kind of balance it out. I'm for it. Oh. Somebody has to be inventing a thing where the webcam is right behind the screen. Like if the webcam was right in the middle of our screens, then we'd look at our screens, we'd see everybody and we'd be making eye contact. Yeah. Yeah. I thought maybe if I moved it, it would. You can do that. Yeah, try it. You want to try it now? Yeah. Oh, I just moved it over a little bit. Okay. I like that better. Do you like that? Well, still, if I'm looking at the Yeah, screen, you still got to, yeah, we just want to get, get them closer together. Yeah. Sort of align them. To look at yeah. The it's a thing. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a different, it's definitely different when one is looking okay. directly at the camera, for sure. Okay.
And then I have a second monitor, so I'm often looking that way entirely. There's a lot going on. You did great. You did a great job. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Okay. All right, dear. Have a, have a great time. Thanks. Enjoy the rest of the convention. It's a wonderful convention. It's lovely. wonderful speakers. It's lovely. Okay. All right, my dear. Take Bye. care. Okay. Bye. Oh, I'm going to, okay. Okay, so this room is closed. Um, we do have a fellowship in track B. So please go over there if you like, and then come back after for some more step work. Okay, thank everybody.